All right, everyone. Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Uh, you can find my work at jessesingle.substack.com and on blockchainreporter.org. Um, I'm basically just going to take your questions on whatever. I want to talk a little bit about the controversy uh, surrounding um, the unredacted, aka Jihad Rehab, uh, by Meg. How do you pronounce your last name? Should have checked this before. And Smaker, Smacker. I don't know. There's a good article um, by Michael Powell in the New York Times who is sort of on the outrages within liberal institutions and free speech beat that you should read that runs down the basics of this controversy. Basically, this film was pulled from Sundance uh, because all these accusations were leveled against it, that it treated its subjects as terrorists. Um, Sorry, I should back up. This is a, the film is about a Saudi Arabian facility where these men from Yemen who had been held at Guantanamo were sent to supposedly be rehabilitated and, um, you know, ideally let back into society, into polite <laughs> Saudi uh, society. They actually they're not allowed to leave Saudi Arabia despite being from Yemen. Um, so this filmmaker gained pretty intimate access to this facility. Uh, where she profiled these four men as they went through this process of sort of de-radicalizing. And then there was this blow-up that got the film completely pulled from Sundance, pulled from other festivals. According to Michael Powell's article, uh, Meg basically went bankrupt as a result of this. She really poured her life into this uh, film. It was the result of a process that started after 9-11 when she began hitchhiking in the Middle East to understand it. She lived in Yemen. She learned Arabic. She, She seems to be... I say this as a non-expert, sort of like the model of what you would want uh, in terms of someone not from a culture writing about that culture. So um, I tweeted a little bit about the Michael Powell article. I tweeted out how this seemed like a pretty outrageous misrepresentation of what was in the film. I got this very nice, earnest email, uh, a couple of them actually after I responded, from a, another filmmaker who's like, I think you're overstating this. Like, I, There's just important conversations to be had here about you know, power and consent and diversity. And what I told him was I've, I've written about these outrages before. Um, I should say the guy who wrote me also linked me to this open letter listing all these allegations against Smaker in the film. Uh, but I told him, like, I've written about this before. And what seems to happen every, every single time there is an outrage concerning a book or film or other thing um, that isn't widely available, the same thing happens, which is that people lie or badly distort uh, its contents, and then those lies and distortions filter through the media. So I saw this happen most severely with a book called American Dirt, where like a lot of stuff that just wasn't in the book spread through mainstream outlets, including Huffington Post and the New York Times. Basically, these activists lied or distorted about what was in the book, and journalists wanting to, in my view, wanting to show the right side of a social justice controversy just sort of recited those lies. So uh, sure enough, I watched a screener last night, and that's like exactly what happened here once again. Uh, I'll just give a couple examples. One of the articles talks about how Meg, um, Meg Smaker said – I'm just going to go Smaker. I apologize if it's Smaker. I think it's Smaker. Um, this Arabic-speaking woman says – Smaker says she has great access because she's uh, fluent in Arabic. I speak Yemeni Arabic, and, and different dialects of Arabic are very different. Uh, you know, I spoke Yemeni, I speak Yemeni Arabic, her Arabic sucks. If you watch the film, this is a direct quote. She's talking to a detainee in Arabic. Just so you know, I used to live in Yemen, in the old part of Sana'a. 
I lived there for about four and a half years. Back then, eight years ago, my Arabic was excellent, but now it's a bit shit. This is exactly the kind of distortion I'm talking about. If someone says in their documentary, my Arabic is bad now, it's obviously not honest to say, well, I thought her Arabic was bad. How could she have, you know, she's saying her Arabic used to be good. This is what happens if you don't speak a language over time. Another example. Uh, in The Guardian, someone writes that uh, there were questions about whether she could actually interview these men uh, ethically. One of the men still talks with his hands together as if they are in handcuffs. That's from Thaslima Begum in The Guardian. This is a complete distortion of what happens. There is a scene where a guy talks about how when he was in Guantanamo, he talked like this, as if I'm still handcuffed, holding his hands together. He's saying he doesn't do that anymore. He used to do that. Now, obviously, that seems like a little distinction, but if someone is so traumatized, they still feel like they're being handcuffed, maybe you can't interview them ethically. But none of these guys in that state. They talked at length about their trauma at Guantanamo and made it clear that this place appeared to be very different. Um, there was also this bullshit basically making it out as though she's like interrogating them harshly, asking them about what they did, calling them terrorists. A lot of people repeated the claim that she treated them as terrorists when they'd never been charged with a crime. The men themselves admit to having gone to, to Afghanistan to train with al-Qaeda, um, or several of them do. And and it, it's like they admit to that. They don't admit to everything. They they speak intelligently and in a nuanced way about what they've done, what they haven't done, how they feel about it. None of them are just robots being like, yes, I used to be a terrorist. That was bad. Now I'm not a terrorist, which is good. It's all more complicated than that. But this idea that she's treating them as terrorists is just bullshit. The whole point of the film is to humanize them. Here's a quote from the open letter. Quote, yet the film never makes it explicit that they were illegally detained and held without charge. End quote. Here's a detainee, an hour and, 11, an hour and 12 minutes in the film. Quote, I told you I had been 15 years in Guantanamo without any judgment, without any sentence. So again, it's just dishonest. It's dishonest that the film never makes it explicit they were illegally detained and held without charge because one of them did say that. She also added to their title cards with their charges with what um, – Landed them in Guantanamo, the new cut of the film she showed me, does have a little asterisk saying they were never charged um, or convicted, which I think is useful. But the other part of this that bugged me is like you're acting like the audience is morons because for – I thought it was 30 minutes of the film. I think Michael Powell said it was 30 or 40 minutes or someone said that. The film goes to such great lengths to just let these men talk about the waking nightmare that was living, uh, being held in Guantanamo Bay. That's like to the if you had to pick one theme from this film that will be obvious to anyone who watches it, it's that Guantanamo Bay was a hellish nightmare and that these men were abused. One of them said he was sexually assaulted. One, they, multiple men said they were tortured. One said his friend died in custody. So the idea that someone is going to watch a film where these men spend a half hour talking about getting tortured in Guantanamo and then this, this hypothetical viewer is going to leave the film saying, well, it sounded like Guantanamo was a legitimate legal process to me. It's just it's, – it's delusional. They're just throwing everything at the wall to see what will stick to try to ruin this film and the woman's reputation. Um, I found this really frustrating. It would be very easy for journalists not to contribute to these pylon campaigns. They could just, for example, watch the fucking film before writing anything about it. A lot of journalists didn't do that. There's also this game of telephone thing where someone writes an open letter that contains bullshit, and then a journalist just reports on the existence of the open letter without fact-checking its claims. This was so stupid. And none of this is to say that there are no like legitimate questions about how the choices Smaker made. She's, like, she's reporting from within a 
you know, a form of, it's it's like a minimum security prison. It, it looks a little bit more like a clubhouse or country club. They have a swimming pool. They have nice facilities. I think they were treated very well. That's not something I would usually say of a Saudi facility, but like she was there for years and it just seems like it'd be hard to hide if they were like torturing them. They seem to legitimately be been treated okay there, but they have to take place in this uh take part in this de-radicalization to ever have a chance at getting out. Filming someone under those circumstances has certain ethically prickly points. Same same as if you're interviewing someone in jail. Like we we don't have to pretend there's no potential issue here, but like I think she handled it pretty well. And the idea that this should have been deplatformed, let alone that that her reputation should have been ruined in this manner, is just gross. It, it's just there was no um, resemblance between the film I watched last night and what I read about it. It was crazy how many journalists participated in that. They should do better. Joshua, what is up? Let's see. Hey. Uh- I would guess that uh, most of this wouldn't be considered um, defamation because uh, it veers more into the side of uh, of, um, of opinion, I guess, in many ways. But I'm curious, as a journalist, um, where do you think that line begins to get crossed? For example, we also saw that J.K. Rowling's was accused, I think, uh, in many, uh, in many uh, newspapers uh, this week or last week of uh, creating like a transphobic uh, character in her latest book. And I'm just curious, like, as a journalist, where for where do you think that line exists? Uh, where do you think there's ability where someone just is ignorance versus someone that's just straight up lying? Um, in, in an American context, it's almost impossible to prove a defamation claim, especially if you're a public figure, which, excuse me, I think a filmmaker would be. You have to basically prove that someone intentionally got something wrong with like with malice like they meant to get it wrong and that it caused you monetary harm that's the baseline there's some fuzziness at the edges of that like i think there's a a sort of reckless disregard standard um i you know there's real downsides to having a libel system like what they have in the uk i would much rather live in a system where it's harder to sue people for libel i say that as someone who I feel like I have been personally defamed by a few people, to be honest. Uh, And I can see why it's tempting to want to sort of bring some sort of justice. In a situation like this, A, I don't think she has the money to pursue it. B, I think it would be very hard to prove that, like, it was intentional. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, this is a side effect of having what is a good liberal libel system or conservative, however you want to see it. Uh, It is hard to sue people just for doing incredibly shitty journalism about you that might harm your reputation. So my, my own thoughts on what the rules should be are a little bit different. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if like for journalists, for anyone calling themselves a publisher, if the standard was beefed up just a little bit, I don't think that would be the end of the world, but overall I would much rather have our system than, than Britain's. And one of the downsides of that is, um, you know, people, people can say really shitty things about you with no consequences. And, and I wouldn't say or, or consider this defamation. This feels like it's too much in the area of opinion. But I'm curious just because this makes, you know, there, there's been a lot of... Well, I mean, but, but just to, not to interrupt, but like factual claims about what's in the film are not opinion. So like something like saying this guy was too traumatized to talk because he had his hands together when he was clearly referring to the past. It might seem subtle, but I, I view that as factual. Anyway, sorry. Right, and, and I guess that's a good point, too. You, you, you could, I guess, get away with lying, and, and I agree with you. Every slope of, uh, you know, once you're able to silence some journalists, you know, it you know, starts a huge precedent. I am curious, do you think there's any 
anything that's happened, any kind of reporting this year that you do think has veered into the world of defamation? You mean just in general or on this? No, outside of this, I'm just wondering, you know, thinking about this and, you know, um, reporters who either didn't do either didn't research or deliberately are lying. Is there any of those stories that you think veer so far to uh, to running to to being deliberately and maliciously lying? You're you're cutting out a little bit. Um, The short answer is no, nothing off the top of my head. And I I would want to be really careful about accusing another journalist about that. My own my own encounters have been a few things on Twitter that I just found so grotesquely beyond the pale people like spreading rumors about me that like some part of my brain is like that's liable that's liable that's liable but the fact is legally a it's probably not liable b if we had a more liberal system rich people would constantly trample poor journalists and outlets so we don't actually want that um thank you for the call sorry you were cutting out a little bit then lanat what's up hi uh jesse i don't have uh much to say about the topic you brought up um but i wanted to bring up a couple of things can you, um, the first one is I just want to tell you how much I love your work, uh, your Substack, the podcast. I'm reading your book now, uh, and I'm bringing that up not because um, you know I want to, you know, I want to suck up, but because I I also feel this need to like um, make up for all the criticism that I see happening to you all the time. Um, it makes me feel really bad sometimes to read how much people attack you um and you know like i i've noticed a a few times you said you want to get off twitter and while i enjoy reading your tweets i can completely understand that because when i try to place myself in your position i think like wow i don't i don't know how i could i could deal with that I, i don't know how i could deal with those attacks the lies and then people you know joining in with the lies who don't even know the details so I guess my question is just more kind of personal because I I think it would be really hard for me uh, to deal with that. I'm just wondering, what do you do to like in in terms of self-care, in terms of just kind of uh, kind of just kind of not letting that overwhelm you? Because I think it would be really hard. Um, That's very kind of you to say, uh, and I appreciate it. I mean, the short answer is I've I've just been very lucky that for the most part, this stuff has benefited me and I'm in a much better situation professionally than I used to be before I was controversial. So I just, it's hard for me to be that mad about it or hung up about it because it's, it's definitely brought, um, the more people, uh, to my work or brought me to their attention. Uh, so yeah, what do I do is I try to lock off Twitter and once in a while I pick and choose my spots to say like, look, this person's just lying. This person, people are saying crazy things about me, but I think there's diminishing returns to doing that too much. Cause you can't just sit online responding to everyone who says crazy shit about you. So I have yet to find the balance, but that's the short version of how I handle it. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Sometimes I do worry about like, oh, this is this this is such just so so like so many attacks and just so so mean and vicious that I worry about your own. The, like, the, but the vast majority of it doesn't extend off Twitter. People are very lazy and the outrage is, is shallow. Okay, okay. I, I get I tend to be very sensitive even when I'm attacked by strangers on uh, social media. Like sometimes I'll want to like open up and bring up a, a point and when people are really mean it just bothers me so much so i i i, I you know i kind of respect that you can do that and but i was wondering too how you manage it because to me it, it's just maybe it's just really hard so 
Um, but anyway, I wanted to let you know that you are very appreciated. And I, I really do enjoy like listening to what you say, but I can completely understand why you would get off Twitter, even though, I, of course, I would miss you. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Laura. So the other thing I wanted to ask you is I did see your tweet today uh, in which you, uh, I think you tweeted an article from the New York Times um, that Ethan Waters wrote. Um, and I was wondering, it was, uh, it was about uh, psychologists. Uh, and, um, you know, it interests me because I'm, I am a psychologist as well. And I was wondering if you had read his book uh, about uh, crazy like No, us. It's, this um, sucks. I love Ethan. It's on my bookshelf. I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. I really want to. Okay, well, I just, I love that book. I find that book so, so wonderful. Like I, you know, I have psychology interns the the chapter on ptsd i because i work a lot with trauma too i assign it to all the psychology interns it really brings up a lot of really important and i would love to hear your thoughts so uh, uh on it because it just really brings up a lot a lot of important issues when it comes to uh, the the influence of culture and diagnosis and how we conceive mental illness um and how we influence people too by just asking questions and focusing on some symptoms and neglecting others and influence how they how they kind of form their own perceptions of what's wrong with them. I mean, they're not, it's not negating emotional distress. It's there, but just how we influence how people experience and uh, their, their emotional distress. Right. But it's a great, great chapter. I mean, that chapter, but all the entire book. So. Thank you, Lynette. I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. It's like high on my list. Uh, and thank you for the call. Oh, you're welcome. Have a good Bye. day. Eli, what is up? Can you? I'll make this short. First of all, I, I did see some um, criticism in the Guardian about the jihad. I, I'm almost I always uh, jihad rehab. I think is it meant to be like never mind uh, about the movie that one of its participants says uh, my life is already difficult, but this film poses a serious threat to my life and that of my family or something like that. Did you see? That? Yeah, there were a couple of claims that that after agreeing to be in it people were unhappy they were in it but but in the michael powell article he says that they looked into the whole consent question they signed all the forms uh okay. you you can't if you sign disclosure forms uh, freely to be in a documentary you can't then complain that you're in a documentary i just don't find that credible okay that's great i have a, an entirely different question since sure. i'm israeli and i always got the impression that you have a rather complicated uh and i would say i well which would be um, complicated uh, take about Israel, but you you said something about an experience you had at Ben Gurion at the airport, having to do with stuff you got from a Palestinian charity that was uh, they asked if you they checked if it was a bomb or something, and I was yeah. wondering. Um, well, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm sorry. Um, no, I mean it was it was just silly because we were Americans. Uh, meeting with a lot of different groups, including some delegations of like old PA people and, and Palestinian rights groups. And they literally just gave us, um, you know, uh, pamphlets like showing from their point of view, how Israel had eaten up their territory. Yeah. And the idea, I just, it, it was sort of like the um, Israeli security agent thought we were morons that yes, that's, that's what Palestinians do. They lure you to a meeting at their NGO. <laughs> then they give you a pamphlet that explodes when you're in the air, killing everybody. 
it was just it was sort of it was sort of crazy. I also had um we don't, we don't need to get too deep in this, but I have a friend who was in the State Department and had a Syrian stamp on his passport. And he was subjected to a very stupid interrogation when he got there, uh, where they yes, asked him if he was an enemy of the state of Israel, and we all had to wait. But that being said, they have very legitimate security concerns. So I think um, there's probably a method to what they're doing, and I'm not aware of any El Al flight <laughs> having ever been attacked successfully in recent history. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's this kind of thing, you know, it sticks. Whilst yeah. when It's like the reverse of... Um, pandemic policy never mind thank you this will not now i understand the context uh yeah have a great rest of the day because i was uh, sneezing momentarily speak of being jewish kw what is up hey jesse can you hear me i can how's it going good the the app worked this time it's perfect excellent uh, brought up this documentary because this has literally been i think my most obsessive topic the one thing i've been most obsessed with since about 2017 is how basically the left has become the right when it comes to moralizing about pop culture and panicking over art and this is yet another one of those situations so well this is a particularly interesting one because in in 2003 i feel like conservatives would have been like what are you doing trying to humanize terrorists they would have hated this movie yeah, exactly. And it's just that one of the things that attracted me to the left long ago is because, you know, we're the more freedom. We've always been the more freedom of expression people uh, going up against the moral majority of old. And I I don't know what the hell happened, but it feels like we've switched sides. I mean, I maybe not completely. The right still freaks out about some art, too. Uh, most notably, remember Cuties? Yeah, although I think that was like a, a, a rare feminist right-winger alliance to a certain extent. But yes, they okay. freak out about that. And they, they're, they're passing laws trying to restrict stuff in schools. So they're not, they're, they still have that same tendency. But yes, the flip toward like a big um, moralizing urge on the left has been very depressing. It has been. And obviously it's because of Trump. I, I just, I saw people just flip to this like almost overnight after he won and took power. And it's just, it's like a virus that just infected. People. It's very depressing. And it, it is. And, you know, naturally there's always the types who are like, you know, like Michael Hobbs, especially who you'd think would be every one out of every hundred times would be like, you know, perhaps the, Perhaps the woke position is not is not 100% correct this time, but nope. Yeah. It's always people like you and Katie that are the bad ones. Right. <laughs> How could you possibly think that? <laughs> and just, you know, that type of personality, not just him, but so many of the, the sneering, haughty Twitter blue checks, sometimes they enrage me so much that there are days when I hate them more than the they Republicans. They can be very, I, I they can be very annoying, but yeah. This is, it can be. It's never going to make me vote for the GOP, but it's definitely like that. And, you know, I one more thing before I end this rant is that I did see this sort of thing happen with sports coverage, too. Like, have you heard about the Brett Favre uh, saga? I only have a, a vague he, awareness of the details. Well, basically what happened is he tried to lobby to get welfare money from the state of Mississippi to help build like a, a, I think it was like a a volleyball facility at Southern Miss where he went to school and where his daughter went to school. 
I mean, he's... I've never liked him. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I'm kind of biased. But, you know, he's... He is... Uh, he's revealed himself to be real scum. And I learned about this story. And yet, for some reason, there's been this spate of articles saying, why isn't the media talking about this enough? Why aren't they as mad at him as they are at Michael Vick and Colin Kaepernick? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Different. Of course people are covering this. Like, how would... Of course, people are covering this. How, how the hell did I find out about about it otherwise? I just, I don't know what's going on. It's just whatever drives outrage and makes you look good to your own tribe is what's more important, I guess. Yep. I don't know, man. It's very frustrating. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the call, KW. And I will see you in Arlington, August oh, 20, or excuse me, October 29th. Excellent. Looking forward to, to meeting folks there. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I guess just Welcome jumping on. off his last point, the one one other thing I forgot to point out is like one of the best things about the movie is like this was a real clusterfuck of a situation. So we released other people to other countries uh, from Guantanamo. We didn't release the Yemenis because Yemen was having a civil war and it was a shit show there. So we come to an agreement with the Saudis where we will sell them we will sell them weapons if they take these Yemeni prisoners. Of course, what do they use the weapons for? They use it to bomb Yemen. So it's just this, they're really political pawns. And then the last part of the film has to do with sort of uh, MBS basically seizing power in Saudi Arabia and the guy who runs the center getting sort of, you know, uh, losing power. So it's very complicated. And it, it nicely demonstrates how trying to divide the world into good and evil and terrorists and good guys does not capture what it's like to just be a human you know, an individual being batted around by these these world powers. So, anyway, I um, yeah. Uh, w, are you? Did I mute you, or can you? There we go. What's up? Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually a really great jumping off point. To, a question I was going to ask you about was, I think it's just really interesting because the framing of the quote unquote controversy about this film is so interesting because it seems to be suggesting that telling stories about Islamic extremists um, increases the chance, and yesterday I called in about st stochastic terrorism, but talking about um, jihadism or Islamic extremism increases the chance that everyday um, Muslims are going to face persecution and more oppression by telling this story. Yep. And, 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 and that what, what I find interesting about that is that it seems such an American and Western-centric framing of the story and i think that's so interesting that you mention um these powerful world powerful countries muslim majority countries that have their own um issues navigating terrorism and islamic extremism in their own nations that have muslim majority countries and thing, so that was my point is like it seems such a such a collapsing of a global world especially in the internet and when we have global art spaces to say that telling this story is inherently negative because there are Muslim minorities in Western countries. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's a good point. It, it's sort of, you know, I think a certain per kind of person is going to watch this film and they'll already be sensitive to, to Muslims. But the idea that someone would watch this and become less rather than more, you know, enlightened for lack of a better word, or th there's just, there's no way a normal human being could watch this film and be like, oh, this proves to me Muslims are terrorists because it's just is more nuanced than that. And yeah, that other point, I, I think they don't, uh, she doesn't make clear exactly which bombings these guys might've been directly involved with to the extent some of them were, but she does, she shows footage of all these bombings that occurred like 
during the war on terror era in other countries. So, yeah, obviously, like, and and Muslim countries have been hit much harder by war and terrorism than we have, even after you account for nine eleven, obviously. So, other countries have their own incentives here. Other countries want there to not be terrorism. So. There is something extremely America-centric and solipsistic about this idea that, like, all that's at stake here is, like, oh, no, you you acknowledge these Muslim guys did terrorism. That's bad when there's just a lot more going on. So I think that's a good point. Thank you so much. I have to wrap it up, I believe. Neil, how's it going? And I'm going to try to not uh, cough during this call. Um Basically, this is breaking news, but Ned from the Try Guys, which is, like, this YouTube show, has been, like, fired. He's no longer with the group. He's one of the founding members because – and so the statement doesn't say this. It's, like, rumored. But basically, he cheated on his wife with this, um, like, employee. And so I wanted to ask – obviously, cheaters are scum. Um, but there's the people condemning him, and then there's the people saying, well, it's not – you know, the employee's fault because it's a position of power and you can't, you know, you can't consent if it's, if it's a boss. And I just, I think that's like such BS. I just think like, as long as you're not being like threatened implicitly or explicitly, the idea that you can't like just consent to a relationship at all, or, or that even you can't consent. And then you're like, you're like guilt-free because it, it wasn't your fault or whatever. I think it's just such BS. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on quote unquote power and how that interplays yeah. with consent. I think it's like a lot of social justice terms where there's like a kernel of truth, but people just stretch it out to the breaking point. So the my basketball team, the Boston Celtics, are going through something similar where the coach, Ime Udoka, uh, is suspended at least a year and frankly may never coach again because he slept with um, someone under him in the organization. Uh, I think that it's not it's not impossible to truly consent to sleeping with your boss, but as soon as a boss hits on someone below them in the hierarchy, it, it makes things incredibly complicated. And I, I think I do view it as an abuse of power. It's not much to ask for bosses not to hit on the people who work for them. Um, I think if it goes the other way, it's a little bit different. It's probably never a good idea to sleep with someone you work with. But uh, I'm, I half agree. I don't think that a 25 or 30 or 35-year-old cannot consent to sleeping with their boss. But I think if the boss initiated it, they're putting them in a very difficult situation because then any, especially if it's a direct report, Anything that happens after that, if the person says no to sleeping with them or if they sleep together and then break it off, there's this cloud hanging over everything, right? Like, why did they get a promotion? Why did they not get a promotion? It's just like it gets very messy, and I can see why it's just a, a bad idea in general. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a fair position. I think what if the boss is, like, super open about this, though, and is like, like I, like, won't retaliate or there's, like, there's like a third party that, like, checks them? Like, there's, it's like – can you mitigate the potential downsides of this? Companies have policies where they like, <laughs> this is from the office actually, but I think it's actually a real thing where it's like, if you're in a relationship with someone, you sort of report it to HR and they set things up so that like you won't be their direct report or they won't be your direct report. So there's probably, yeah, there's probably some ways to mitigate it for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I just, the discourse has been like, just so like, Oh no. I mean, dude, there's a, there's a huge trend in like progressive online spaces to act like, the worst are so um, there's examples where it's like, you know, uh, a 21 year old girl gets a DM on Instagram from a 27 year old local rock star and sleeps with her, him, and then says, uh, the discourse is like, she can't have consented because he has power over. Her. In a situation like that, I find it ridiculous because, like, you know, if you're if you're gonna DM a rock star, he might try to sleep with you, and if it, it wasn't coercive, that's not a real abuse of power or if it is an abuse of power a lot of people are gonna have to 
stop having sex with a lot of people. So there's a version of this that I agree with you is ridiculous. I just think like two people working in the same company, one supervising the other seems like a no, no to me, but it's a good question. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So, uh, last call will be Humpty. Other, other folks who I don't get to remember that if you come to the next one and just, um, drop a note in the chat, I will bump you to the front. People should avail themselves of that. Humpty, what's up? Uh, hey, Jesse. Um, with this, uh, with this documentary, um, the, I, as far as I've been able to tell, it, it doesn't seem like it ever had any sort of wide release, did it? No, I, I think like, it just showed it. It wasn't available on any of the major streaming platforms or anything. No, hardly, any, hardly anyone I, saw it except at like small screenings. Yeah, so that's what that's part of what confuses me is how this like how how did there get to be this campaign to deplatform it you know it's kind of like it was killed in its crib it doesn't I, it would make more sense to me if it had been streaming on netflix or something and there was outrage but like this is like coming from like some kind of um intimate circle of of industry insiders or something it seems like yeah, I, I think it's roughly similar to how a lot of the, the blow about fiction, particularly young adult fiction, what happens is people send out ARCs or advanced reader copies, which is like, you know, um, just copies you send to both famous people and other authors and maybe like influential book bloggers. And then someone screenshots it, outrage, they do a blog post. Everyone jumps on the bandwagon to show they're on the right side of the outrage, even though they just haven't read it yet because the book isn't widely available. I think there's a version of that here. But instead of the advanced reading copies, it's just these, um, you know, festival screenings. And the other thing is, it doesn't seem like, from everything I've heard, it doesn't seem like this was like uh, some kind of a, uh, apology for uh, America's war on terror or anything. It, it, it seems like all the allegations I've heard, it really seems like they're saying she failed to advocate hard enough against uh you know, the American war on terror. And, like, it seems like there's this a trend to, like, you know, say that journalists or documentarians or whatever, if they aren't, if they, you know, don't wear their politics on their sleeve and their politics aren't exactly right, that, you know, um, they're doing something wrong, you know, when they, if they talk about controversial issues, you know. It yeah. seems like she's a, basically a, a trying to, you know, show all the complications and not not weigh in and make it like a piece of advocacy, you know. Yeah, no, and you're you're problems. totally right. And and in this case, the one the one thing she couldn't have been clearer on is her thoughts communicated through the detainees about Guantanamo. Like the book, the film makes it so clear that Guantanamo is a human rights catastrophe that it is incredibly critical of U.S. policy in that, in that regard. It's also critical of the Saudis in other ways. So, um, A, I agree with you completely that this idea that you can't make a documentary unless you sort of explicitly recite your own politics and have the right politics, that's dumb. And B, I just think in this specific case, it's a dumb accusation because of all the time given over to the horrors of Guantanamo. So I just I find this to be yeah, all... Yeah, it, like it, it just seems like she's basically accused of, of not being completely 100% one-sided in her presentation and you know that with a subject this sensitive you anybody who's who's going to you know do something on it they need to be they need to be completely one-sided yeah 
that seems to be the expectation that would make some for some very boring and bland documentaries. Yeah, it's I, well, it's and it, I feel like that's basically, you know, like I used to watch cable news and stuff like that, but it's basically what's happened to cable news for the most part is like they they're not allowed to be interesting anymore. It's it, it's always very predictable what you're going to see and what you're going to hear. It's unwatchable. A lot of MSNBC is like completely unwatchable. Yeah, I mean, so is Fox I, News for that matter, but you know what I mean. Oh yeah, I used to I used to listen to the like the uh, like Chris Hayes show and Rachel Maddow show when they were released uh, on in podcast form pretty often, and I I haven't listened to them in like a year or so. Yeah, and uh, I still listen to Chris Hayes's uh, separate podcast sometimes. Um, why is this happening? But still, even that has gotten. It, like over the last couple of years, it's just gotten pro- progressively less interesting. Just so predictable. I think a lot of stuff in mainstream media feel very worn out right now and tired and repetitive, and and you know that could maybe explain some ratings issues. Yeah. All right. Thank and you. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. We call Hupty. All right, guys. I'm gonna have to wrap it up there. Uh, Ryan, Nathaniel, Pierre, if you come to the next one or the next couple ones and just drop a note in the chat saying I was in line last time, could you bump me to the front? I will do that. Again, folks should take advantage of that policy. But, uh, yeah, for now, I hope everyone has a good Tuesday. Uh, Yeah, that's all I got. Thank you for listening. As always, I would just ask you, if you like what I do, direct other people to my work and to the show. Thank you. Have a good day.